Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. God now calling his nation of Israel to pour out a, a divine judgment on this people of Amalek. I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. Amalek had savagely attacked Israel from the rear. They had kind of ambushed them and come and attacked the weak, the vulnerable of Israel when they were first coming out of the land of Egypt. They came out of Egypt and they were still just very young as a moving tribe and Amalek took advantage of them and ambushed them and killed many of uh, the Israelites as they were coming out from Egypt. Now Joshua was instructed by Moses to go and fight Amalek and they did win the victory. You may remember that battle. That's when Moses went up onto the mountain to pray and he lifted his hands over the battle. And as long as his hands were up, Israel was winning the battle, but as he grew tired and weary during the day and his hands began to drop, the people of Amalek began to win the battle. And so Aaron and Hur helped hold up uh, Moses' hands as he interceded and prayed over the battle, and God gave them victory. But God did not forget this, um, this act against his people. And in fact, uh, in Exodus chapter 17, after the battle was over, in verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I may utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner, for he said, because the Lord has sworn, sworn the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So the Lord is mindful of this event. And he is now calling Saul to execute this judgment. Now, 400 years have passed since these events. And this gives you a picture of God's mercy, God's patience, how, how God was long-suffering. Uh, he didn't immediately execute this judgment on Amalek, but gave them even space to repent. But God eventually did call this judgment um, to, to existence. Now, we ought not to think that somehow as Christians we are called to execute God's holy judgment uh, on, on nations or on individuals. We as Christians, we live under the new covenant. This is Israel living under the old covenant, a very different covenant. Today we live under a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of God is within the, within the hearts of his people. You remember Jesus when he was being uh, tried, he said, my kingdom, if this were my kingdom, I would have my servants come and fight. But my kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. And we live in the new covenant wherein God is living and dwelling in the heart of his people. But still, even in this time, God and throughout history, God does use nations to judge other nations. We see this throughout the course of the Old Testament. Uh, and even, of course, into the New Testament, God would have Rome come and punish 
the city of Jerusalem for their rejection of Christ the Messiah. Babylon endured. Babylon was both used as an instrument of God's judgment. They also suffered God's judgment. Media, Persia, Greece, Rome, many of the nations of the earth. Uh, God has used them to execute his purposes. And then when they became proud and when they became sinful and when they became you know, just uh, the base of godliness, then God would raise up another nation. And so, you know, God does use nations to execute his plans and purposes. And when, a, when, a, when the sins of a people reach a certain threshing point, God then does begin to bring judgment. You remember when Abraham was shown the land that he would ultimately inherit, God said, but I'm not going to give it to you yet. It will be for generations yet to come because the sins of these people are not yet full. I am eventually going to judge this people that are in the land, but not yet. I'm going to continue to extend mercy. I'm going to continue to to work and try to save some. But as their sins mount, eventually God brings judgment and makes us call to wonder where we are in that scale of uh, judgment. As As a United States of America, we wonder... If our sins, which we know are great as a people and as a nation, we wonder if the sins of our nation are yet full and what God will do to begin to bring discipline and judgment to a nation. But we see it here, God instructing Saul to go and finish this judgment that he has pronounced on the Amalekites. So now with me in verse 4. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. So the Kenites, these were descendants of Moses' father-in-law. If you remember, Moses' father-in-law was instrumental in helping Moses as the children of Israel came out of Egypt. And so they lived in a close proximity to the Amalekites. So they get this divine warning. You guys need to get out of the way. God's bringing judgment, but he doesn't want you to be included. So they depart. Verse 7. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed." Now, is that what the Lord had told them to do? No. Saul spares Agag, who is the king. uh, And then so the people follow suit. Hey, if the leader is going to compromise on executing the judgment on all the people, he's sparing the king. Well, then maybe we should spare the best of the spoils. Why, Why destroy some of these good sheep and oxen and things that we can actually use? So this bad example by the leadership of Saul results in the bad conduct of the people. Now, in a normal war, in a normal uh, you know, battle between these two peoples, um, 
the spoils would be available to those that won the, the battle. I mean, this was in, in one sense uh, an incentive to go to battle for your people because if you gained victory, you would gain the spoils and you would be able to be enriched by those things. But this is not that kind of a battle. This was a judgment of God type of battle. They were there executing God's will and purpose. They were not there defending themselves or defending their, their own territory. God had called them to come and judge this people. And so they were not, they did not have the freedom to then determine how they would execute this plan, nor did they have the freedom to gain the spoils. God did not want spoils being gained as a result of his pouring out his judgment upon another nation. God's heart does not rejoice in judgment. Neither does he want his army celebrating victory in judgment. This is a different kind of battle that God had given instruction for. And God's heart is, is not pleased as he begins to execute judgment. Rather, God's heart is grieved when he comes to that place where he must execute judgment. And he did not want the people having this kind of celebration by gaining spoil from the battle. And he had given them clear instruction. A couple of verses to remind you of God's heart. Uh, God is not interested. God does not delight in judgment. Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 11. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. God would rather see hearts turn. God, God, God would get, rather see hearts turn and receive his mercy. But if hearts stubbornly refuse to yield, hearts continue to persist in their own rebellion and stubborn sin, God is left with no alternative but to judge, to discipline. But that's not his desire, that's not his will. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 7, you may remember this passage. Peter says this, But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget, forget this one thing. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Peter said, God has promised that there is a day of judgment that he will one day visit the earth. And that will be a day, that day will be a day of fire, and the perdition of ungodly men will be punished. But he says, God has not come to execute that day yet, and some may think God is slow about getting around to his promises. First of all, remember, for God, time is different. A day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. So, even if it's 2,000, 3,000, 6,000 years, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a long time to God. That's Peter's first point. But the second point he makes is the reason that God delays judgment is because he desires for men to repent and receive mercy. He's giving space. He's giving room. The reason Christ has not returned 
as we know he has promised from the book of Revelation, is because he's giving the gospel opportunity to still bear fruit and still yield salvation for those that will turn to faith in Christ. God loves. God is trying to save sinners. God will ultimately hold sinners accountable. He will ultimately judge. But God is slow to judge and long-suffering in mercy. We'd like the Lord to return, but aren't you glad he waited for the gospel to find its way to your heart? God is patient. God is merciful. God is not slow. God is not lazy. God has not forgotten his promise, but rather he tarries for the sake of mercy. Verse 9, what we just read, we notice that all that was good... They were unwilling to utterly destroy them. I'm getting a little feedback ring on this. I don't know, maybe you can turn my uh, gain down just a bit on the mic. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. So Saul, as he executes this battle, we, we find that he is only partially obedient. He kills most of them, but he spares the king. Uh, the goods, well, they keep the good stuff, but then they destroy the stuff that's worthless. So it was really an obedience that was more tailored to their convenience. But here's the trouble. Partial obedience is complete disobedience. Let me say that again. Partial obedience is complete disobedience. When God gives instruction to obey, part of it is to disobey his instruction, isn't it? So this is what, what Saul is doing. Uh, the best of the, uh, of, and, and let me just read you this, um, this commentary, F.B. Meyer, on this text. He says this, To spare the best of Amalek is surely equival, equivalent to sparing some root of evil, some plausible indulgence, some favorite sin. For us, Agag must stand for that evil propensity which exists in all of us, for self-gratification. And to spare Agag is to be merciful to ourselves, to exonerate and excuse our failures, and to condone our besetting sin. In other words, you know, I'm willing to obey God when it's convenient in those areas that are easy for me, that I agree with, that I kind of am prone to comply with. But in some of these other areas that I'm not really ready to surrender, uh, you know, well, I'll, you know, I'll get around to that. And so a partial obedience and what Myers is pointing out, look, in the same way that Saul and the people kind of selectively obeyed God, they were actually uh, making excuse to do what was convenient for themselves. Now pick it up with me in verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel. This is taking place out in the battlefield. God now speaks to Samuel in another place saying, verse 11, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried out to the Lord all night. And so when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself 
and he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. God is grieved in his heart because Saul has disobeyed his command. Saul has not completed what God clearly instructed him to do. And God is brokenhearted over this. You know, the Bible talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. That our sin, our rebellion, our disobedience, our refusal to surrender to God, we can actually grieve the Spirit of God who loves us, who wants to see us bear fruit for His glory, who wants to bless us, who wants us to walk in step with His goodness for us. But when we when we you know, kind of reject His counsel and do our own thing, we actually not only resist the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit of God is grieved. God is grieved over Saul in this, in this moment. Now, it, it says that, that I greatly regret. And this is the Bible's way of kind of expressing something of the divine heart. You know, we can't completely comprehend God and all that he knows, all that he feels. But the scriptures put into human terms so that we can somewhat relate to what God is feeling in his heart. Did God really regret? Well, God knew what Saul was going to do even before he put him into that position. So it's not like he regretted it like, wow, I really made a mistake with Saul. What was I thinking? I'm sorry I did that. No, it's not that kind of a regret, but rather it's, it's an expression to help us understand that God's heart was broken over this. I wanted something better for Saul. My plans were something different for Saul. But his stubbornness, his rebellion has, has grieved his heart. And he, and, and he started so well. But now he turned away from the Lord in disobedience. In fact, he's out setting up a monument for himself. He's disobeyed the Lord. God is grieved. Samuel is grieved. Saul is setting up a monument for himself. We see that Samuel's grief turned into a crying all night. And this is a man whose heart is aligned with the Lord. The Lord is, is grieved and Samuel is grieved. Samuel's heart was connected to God's heart. What Those things that moved God moved Samuel, not Saul. Saul. Samuel and the Lord are grieving. Saul is building monuments. His heart's completely out of step, out of touch with the heart of God. I think it's important that we be mindful of God's heart. I think it's important for us to seek his heart, to, to, to try and know his agenda, his priority. We're always trying to recruit him to our heart, to our agenda, to our priorities. But doesn't God have something on his heart tonight? Doesn't God have something that is moving him tonight? Something that the Spirit of God wants to do? Our hearts need to be aligned with his. And our hearts need to be moved with his. When he's grieved, we need to grieve. When He wants to move, we need to move. When God's heart is active, we want our heart to be connected and in step with Him. And that comes through a relationship with Him. That comes through a devotion life. That comes when coming to know. Samuel knew the Lord. Samuel had that prayer life. When God was was grieved, Samuel felt it and was grieved with Him. It comes from relationship. Saul is disconnected. He's out doing his own thing. He knows about God. He's trying to kind of half-heartedly obey some of the things that God has told him. But then when it's convenient for him to do what he wants, he does that. And he's not in tune with what God is feeling or sensing 
at all. Let's follow on now. Verse 13. Then Samuel went to Saul. And Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Verse 14. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, well, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. You see the, you see kind of the self-deception that Saul is, is in, is involved in. Samuel comes. Saul has disobeyed the Lord's command. Samuel was very clear, very specific. Take no prisoners and destroy all of their possessions. He arrives, and Saul comes out, Praise the Lord, Samuel, I've I've obeyed the Lord. Samuel says, Then why am I hearing the sheep and the oxen in my ear? If you obeyed the Lord, how come I'm hearing those that were not to be kept, not to be spared? Oh, well, you know, uh, you know, that was, um, you know, we were going to offer them to the Lord. Makes it sound like a spiritual answer. Saul is deceived. He's a man. I don't think he's really making this up. I think in his in his mind he imagines that he has obeyed the Lord at least close enough, and for him that was good enough. And why wouldn't God want him to keep the best for the people? And we'll offer some of it to the Lord. He's self-deceived, and he's deceived because of his pride. And pride always leads to self-deception, blind to his own sin. Samuel calls him out. Isn't it interesting? What is completely invisible to Saul is blatantly obvious to Samuel. A spiritual blindness and a spiritual discernment. Saul thinks he's fine. Samuel says, you've disobeyed God. And it's all this spiritual blindness, this this self-deception. Remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a humble heart. A humble heart says, Lord, you search my heart. Not me defend my heart. Not me pretend my heart. You search my heart. You have your way in my heart. Whatever is here, God, whatever is not aligned with you, whatever is, is a wicked way in me, take it, show it. I want to be walking in the way everlasting. I want to be walking in step with you. The people spared the best, Saul said, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Interesting phraseology there. He doesn't say to the Lord my God, to the Lord our God, to the Lord your God, Samuel, and in that we see something of Saul's heart. For Saul, God was Samuel's God, not his own. And I saved these animals to sacrifice to the Lord, your God, Samuel, not my God, yours. And that really reveals the root of his trouble, the lack of relationship with the Lord. Verse 16, then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. Sometimes that has to be said, doesn't it? (laughs) And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. I've heard enough of what you have to say. Let me tell you what God said. 
And he said to him, speak on. Okay, go ahead, Samuel. Verse 17, so Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And again, Samuel's rebuke here reveals something of the root of the problem. He says, when you were little in your own eyes, when you were humble, when you did not imagine yourself as some man who needed to build monuments for himself, that's when you were useful. That's when God established you. That's when God used you mightily. But now, now that pride has risen up, now that that the things that were in your heart have come to fruition, it's producing a disobedience You don't feel like you have to obey God, at least not all the way. Close is good enough. And you imagine that you've done what God wants, and you imagine you've gained this this great victory. Let's take some of the spoils, and by the way, let's build me a monument. And, you know, I don't believe that, that Saul became proud as much as the pride that was kind of hidden in his heart became manifest. Once he began to do well, see, it, it's it's circumstances do not necessarily change who we are as much as they reveal who we are. And that's why it's so important that we that we have we develop a relationship with God, you know, and walk with him and allow him to do what's necessary within us before the circum the trying circumstances come. Because that, then, then it's almost too late. Too late to change the character. Too late to really allow the Lord to you know, do something within. Now what's within is going to really begin to manifest. Let's move on. Verse 20, And Saul said to Samuel, Here's Saul's answer, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. He's still in complete denial. I brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. He's trying the same answer. But but, but I have obeyed. What do you mean, Samuel? Why why are you upset? What are you talking about? I did destroy him. Look, I have the king. He's so blind. That in his own answer, he describes his failure to obey. God told you to to destroy the Amalekites. I did. See, I have their king right here. He's alive. He was, that's the problem. He's alive. (laughs) He so misses what God has instructed him to do, but he can't see it. The depth of his own deception. But he's he's still trying to sell this to Samuel. Trying to sell something that sounds spiritual. What's wrong if we kept some of the best animals? We're going to offer them to the Lord. We're going to, you know, we're going to make it spiritual. So Samuel, verse 22. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices 
as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Really, Saul, do you think God is more interested in you bringing animals to Him versus obeying Him? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He also has rejected you from being king. These famous words of Samuel, to obey is better than sacrifice. God is not looking for an observance to some religious duty. God is looking for a yielded heart that will obey. And Saul has missed it. Saul goes through the motions of sacrifice, but his heart is not submitted to God. His heart does not obey. And a rebellious and stubborn heart. Samuel says it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's the same as witchcraft and idolatry. In other words, this rebellious and stubborn heart, the result is it refuses to obey God. And that is the same kind of disobedience that produces witchcraft and idolatry. They, a heart that will not submit to God's lordship and authority. And that's the same idolatry. What's idolatry? Worshiping another God, putting something else up in our heart as God. And that's a stubbornness. That's a, a rebellion against what God, that place that God has. Verse 24. Now, you know, Samuel's kind of starting to close in on him. Verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. And so Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie or relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. God, God's not changing his mind on this, Saul. You are not going to be king. Verse 30, then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel. Kind of sounds like he wants to save face. And return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. As Saul sees that his excuses are just not working, he, he's tried to sell them a couple of times, and, and Samuel just says, what you've done is wrong. And, you know, what you're even trying to make sound spiritual, it's not, it, you should have obeyed God. You should have obeyed the Lord. But now that he sees that, that you know, that's not selling, now he, he kind of softens his heart. Oh, okay, you're right, you're right, I've sinned. But even in his sin, he, he, but, but it was because of the people, you know. They, they, I, I was obeying their voice. I was trying to keep them happy. I was afraid of them. So even in his acknowledgement of his sin, there's still a hedging. There's still kind of a trying to shade it, trying to, trying to put it in a light that, 
but, 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 you know, come on, give me a break, Samuel. He's, he's acknowledging that he made a mistake, but he's saying it in a way that, you know, but, but you, you understand, right? I mean, we all make mistakes. I mean, I feared the people, they, they, it's really their fault. And that's not a, that's not a real repentance. That's not a real coming to the Lord and acknowledging that I have sinned like when David did. Lord, I have sinned against you and none other. It was me and it was against you. End of story. That's a heart God can work with. That's a heart that God can not only forgive and cleanse, but restore. When you're hedging, when you're dodging, when you're trying to sell it, soften it, ease it, make it look better than it really is, that's, a re- that's revealing a heart that is not, that's a heart that's still stubborn, still not surrendered to the authority of God's word. Listen, the Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Not if we hedge and, and kind of soft sell our sin. If we confess it. Confess means to acknowledge, to say what God says. And to acknowledge the truth. God knew that Saul's heart was yet unsincere. Now we don't always know that. Man cannot judge that, but God can. God knew his heart was still full of rebellion and stubbornness. You kind of see it even in his, in his pleading with Samuel. No, don't, don't leave me. Come on, come back with me so that you know, the people can see me worshiping God. It seemed more of wanting to keep his image together, not wanting to suffer the shame or any, any kind of you know, people noticing that things are not good between him and Samuel. But God knew. And Samuel told, told Saul that God will not relent in his decision to take the kingdom and give it to another. Saul, God who knows your heart, has made his decision and he is not a man to relent. He's not a man to, like, you know, wishy-washy change his mind. He knows your heart. He knows the heart of the one he has selected to take your place. And that's, it's done. Saul is still wanting to, but, but please, just come and worship me. And Samuel does allow Saul to offer worship. This is, a, a, I think, a very merciful moment in Samuel's heart. It does not change the circumstance and decision that God has made, but it does allow Saul the opportunity to come and get his heart right. You know, sometimes our actions lead to circumstance, and there's no escaping those circumstances. Those are the circumstances. God is not mocked. What a man sows, he reaps. Now, that doesn't mean that, that you can't come back to God and get your heart right But even in so doing, even in worshiping, even in coming and allowing God, and God will forgive and God will cleanse. But you know, there's still a discipline. There's still a circumstance that is now the result of decisions that you've made. And this is what's going on with Saul. I think there's some insincerity. I think there's all, but yet there's also an opportunity. Okay, Saul, if you really want to worship the Lord, if it's for him and not just for your image, if you really want to love God, come on. Let's go. Let's worship the Lord. Giving Saul that opportunity to return to the Lord in his personal life, even though God would not be changing 
the decision about who would be king. Verse 32, Then Samuel said, Bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously, and Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. Hey, Samuel, good to see you. Surely, you know, the war's over. You're right. We're all, we're all good. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah. And Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Samuel finishes the punishment on Agag. This was an evil king. He had instituted treachery against God's people, and God now through Samuel, executes him. What Saul should have done, Samuel finishes. And Samuel goes and leaves Saul and never they never saw each other again. Samuel would grieve and the Lord would regret. It's a sad testimony, really, of a man, Saul, who had opportunity, whom God gave grace and opportunity and blessing and anointing, and, and, and yet... Um, he let pride, he let his own stubborn, rebellious heart uh, turn him away from God. And God would regret that. God would grieve over that. And Saul would as well. Excuse me, Samuel would as well. Never saw each other again, as far as we can tell by the Scriptures. These were two men that at one time had been close. These are two men that at one time had embraced God's plan and purpose for the nation. But Samuel... His heart stayed tracking with the Lord and Saul's heart went after his own way and that it ultimately separated them. And both uh, Samuel and the Lord grieved over Saul. Let's pray. Father, this passage tonight, it just, Lord, it reveals the tragedy of a man's heart who refuses to surrender a stubbornness, a rebellion as identified in the Scripture. And Lord, although You are merciful, although You are gracious, and we see Your heart grieving over Saul, and yet, Lord, Saul chose his way and he ended up reaping that harvest. And Lord, I think it's, it's mindful for all of us here tonight that you're really looking for our hearts to be surrendered and completely yielded to you. Lord, you're not... Lord, I, I believe that you want us to gather and to fellowship. I, I believe that there, there are things that we can do, Lord, as an expression of our faith that are good and proper. But Lord, it's, it's not just to be an outward observance. It's not just to be some kind of religious ritual. These things that we do and these gatherings and these studying and this worship and this fellowship, Lord, it's to produce a change of heart. It's to allow you to have your way within us. And so, God, we would ask that you, like the psalmist said, Lord, that you would search us tonight and that you would, you would know us. God, it's possible that in our own pride and our own 
stubbornness, we, we don't even see it ourselves. But we're asking you to open our eyes. We're asking you to speak to our hearts. We want our hearts to be aligned with yours. We don't want to be making excuse. We want to be saying amen. Amen. And as our heads are bowed here tonight and we are just closing in this moment of prayer, I, I do want to give an opportunity if you're here tonight and maybe the Lord has spoken to you out of these passages we've looked at tonight. Maybe God has put His finger on your heart tonight. And you realize that, you know, I'm not right with the Lord. I, I go through certain religious motions, but I don't really have a relationship with God. And that relationship begins at the cross of Jesus Christ. That relationship begins by acknowledging I'm a sinner and I need God's forgiveness and He has provided that for me through His Son, Jesus, who paid the price on the cross for my sin. You see, if you say you have no sin, if you don't think your sin's a big deal, well, I obey God pretty much. I'm a pretty good person. I, close enough. Well, then you don't really need a Savior to come and die on a cross for you, do you? You're, you're pretty much okay. But you've got to understand that Jesus died on that cross because we did need a Savior, because we are sinners. And close is not nearly good enough. And maybe the Lord's speaking to your heart tonight and you just need to surrender and say, Lord, forgive me. I, I'm, I've sinned against you and I need Jesus in my life. Maybe you need to come back to Jesus tonight. Maybe as, as Saul, you started well. But somewhere in this journey you have drifted. Maybe pride, maybe sin, maybe distraction, maybe, you know, pursuit of other things. But you find yourself tonight very distant from God. Your heart's not aligned with His at all. And the Lord is speaking to you and He's saying, come back to me. Re recommit your heart to me. God will meet you here tonight, refresh you, forgive you, cleanse you, and strengthen you to walk with Him. If you're here tonight and, and that's something you would, you would want to receive prayer for, you want to receive Jesus or you want to rededicate your heart to Jesus, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand. Let me see you and I'm going to pray for you tonight. Anybody here tonight, Lord speaking to you, you need to surrender your heart to Him. God bless you. Anyone else? Just before I pray, anyone else need this prayer? God bless you as well, sir. God knows the heart. It's for you to acknowledge to Him. Anyone else? And so God, for these that have responded, I pray that You would meet them. In this sincere moment of honesty, Lord, that, that's really, Lord, I'm convinced that's really all you're looking for. An honest heart, a sincere heart, you, you can work with that. You will meet that with mercy, with love and forgiveness. So, Lord, for these responding, we acknowledge, Lord, forgive us. Cleanse us from our, our sin. We're not here to excuse. We're not here to hedge. We're not here to pretend. We're just here to say, God, forgive me. Cleanse me. I don't deserve it, but because you love me so much, you sent Jesus to die for me on the cross. 
And I'm receiving that grace tonight by faith. Fill my heart afresh and anew and help me to walk in relationship with you that my heart will be aligned with yours, that we will walk in step together. In Jesus' name, amen.